Welcome to Tripod, our travel retail theme podcast series in collaboration with the SIVA Group. I'm Martin Moody. I'm Roger Jackson. Roger, we have some traction with Tripod. Great reaction to last week's episode with Rudiger Stelkins, and uh, so there should have been. He was such a great guest. I understand you've got another very intriguing guest to introduce in a moment. Tell us about that. Yeah, we've got a great guest this week. Great follow-on from Rudiger last week, but I think I'm still laughing from last week. Uh, we've got Heidi Van Roon uh, from the Spark Group of Companies from North America. Um, fascinating career. I think he's fascinating too many times, but really this time it is. All right, we'll look forward to that. Uh, as always, you picked out an issue of the week from the industry news to discuss. What's it going to be, Roger? I think this week's... Uh, you know, news story for me is a great one, actually. I think, you know, when you look through everything that's happened in our industry, you know, in the last sort of 15 months, a lot of the media reporting and the sentiment, let's be honest, is, you know, travel retail is not the place to be at the moment. And I can understand some of that. But, you know, a lot of the forecasting and projection is that we will see brand owners and retailers maybe, you know, not wanting to invest in travel retail or even some moving out, which we have seen. However, I think the news this week is the shot in the arm uh, is, is what we all needed, is you know the world's largest luxury brand owner and retailer actually expanding into travel retail into new airports. And this is Louis Vuitton. So obviously LVMH uh, just opened up a duplex store for Hong Kong. Um, and just announced that they're going to be opening up in uh, the world's largest international airport as in terms of DXB Dubai, which I think, yes, they've got stores in Heathrow, uh, they've got stores in Paris, Charles de Gaulle, and I, I know there's one in Istanbul, and I think there's another couple scattered around. But to go into those two airports in, uh, in those regions, Middle East and Asia, is um, I, th- I think that's a statement, Martin, and I think it's a statement of intent. And I wonder, uh, and I expect that we'll probably see many more come after this. It tells us several things. It's fantastic news. First of all, you're absolutely right on that. A great shot in the arm for the stature of Dubai Airport, you know, great airport. And for a, for a mega luxury brand to come on board says that they've found the right environment at DXB and partnership with Dubai Duty Free. So that's great. I was coming through Hong Kong International Airport the other week. So that duplex, beautiful duplex, all set to open in coming weeks. Um, and what I've learned is that Louis Vuitton is pushing hard to open several more airport stores around the world in multiple regions. But really interesting, Roger, I think the big talking point is that they're going to open more stores in domestic terminals in China. So they're in uh, Beijing Daxing Airport, not in the international zone, in the domestic zone. And the average transaction values are fantastic. All the luxury brands in there are getting fantastic ATVs, but Louis Vuitton is leading the pack. Um, And they get a tremendous footfall, of course, great exposure to the vast Chinese nation. um, And they're selling at local market prices. They're not selling uh, with any kind of uh, saving over local selling on the values that Louis Vuitton stands for, the service that Louis Vuitton stands for, and the after-sale service that Louis Vuitton Vuitton 
stands for. So they're saying, you know, airports are great crossroads of the world. They present a perfect opportunity for us if you give us the right space. And I think coming back to your starting point, which is so important, that's just tremendous news because we need big brands to be believing in the travel retail channel. And to me, I, I concur with you. This is the ultimate statement of that. Fascinating, Martin. Really great news for industry. Um, now it's time to meet our guests. So let's bring uh, Heidi. So this episode's special guest is Heidi Van Roon, business development and human resources professional and entrepreneur extraordinaire. Heidi created Spark Business Services Group, Inc., which was founded on her track record for dynamic sales team leadership in retail and wholesale. And Spark Business Services Group provides a fantastic range of recruitment and staffing services for luxury and airport retailers and brands across North America. And Heidi is speaking to us today from her home in Vancouver, British Columbia, beautiful part of the world where my own dad comes from. Welcome, Heidi. Well, thank you so much for having me. And uh, <laughs> that's a little bit of a generous introduction, Martin. I'm really just an everyday person <laughs> trying to have fun while I do my job. Every word of it justified. And Roger, we're delighted to have Heidi join what's been a really good lineup of guests so far, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been fantastic. Uh, obviously, uh, great feedback from last week with Rudiger from Heinemann. I think most people really enjoyed his stories of his time at Harrods. So to have Heidi on uh, is a great pleasure. We've never met before, so this is our first time. So Heidi, it's great to have you on the podcast and it's a pleasure to meet you. Thank you so much, Roger. It's nice to meet you. I actually really enjoy the podcast and uh, look forward to this session and uh, hope I can do a good job for you. Well, we're well warmed up. I can tell readers that we've been having a few technicals in the lead up to this. And at one stage, we had Heidi just on a black screen. But for the last few minutes before this real recording, we had Heidi upside down. Uh, but now we've got Heidi the right way up. And we're going to find out all about her life, her inspirations, and uh, some thoughts, of course, on her professional career. Heidi, let's just start by giving a sense of place with your life story. Where did, where did you grow up? Tell us about that. Well, um, actually, I was born in Vancouver, BC. My parents uh, are both immigrants to Canada, so they arrived in Canada as refugees. They found each other here, uh, started their family, and I was born in Vancouver. However, in uh, early on, they went and um, started to work for an NGO in Austria. So I actually grew up in Austria. I'm, I find my European roots are very, very strong. And um, I have a huge appreciation for Europe, for Austria, and obviously also the German language. That is my first language. And when we, I was a teenager, we moved back to Canada. So I came to Vancouver and uh, started school and it was my seventh school year and had very little English background. I was kind of thrown into uh, the school system and uh, found my way and really, really enjoyed Canada, the Canadian way of life and made this my home. Um, my parents did return eventually, but uh, I stayed here. I really um, enjoyed the lifestyle here, finished high school. And then my first job, to get myself through school because um, I needed to support myself was actually in retail. 
So I enjoyed retail. I loved it. It was, I was a student and finishing my schooling and um, retail was a wonderful opportunity. And the next department was always beauty. And I, I had such a fascinated fascination with beauty, except I just never got in and didn't think to apply. And I didn't think to make retail my career. So um, being with retail probably, you know, a couple of years, even after high school, and um, didn't know where to take it, but we started our family. And then I just um, raised my kids and started then volunteering for an NGO and really got into the whole service area again and really being community focused, really lots of philanthropy, lots of, um, you know, servitude, which was really modeled to me from my parents. And we actually became foster parents at one point and fostered children. Um, we had two siblings that um, we came from obviously um, social demographic that my children just didn't have a lot of connection with at that point in time. And so through fostering actually, uh, it became a very significant um, influence into what I do now, which is staffing because we really don't have a lot of rights. We're really just facilitating a service and really looking to just triangulate that, you know, uh, an offer and, and a contribution that is gonna help everybody. So after fostering, um, I felt like one leg grew longer than the other. The kids had grown up, they had moved on. And uh, I thought, what am I gonna do? So I bought a little video on how to make lampshades and thought I'd just start to make something for my home because there's actually a very creative side of me. I was always really good making things with my hands. We learned that in the Austrian school system, you learn to knit, you learn to sew, you learn to crochet. Uh, we did crafts and I always really, really enjoyed it. So I started making lamps and um, that worked really well because all of a sudden the neighbors wanted lamps and then I thought well there's obviously a niche in the market so I started to go to stores and within six months I had 40 stores and was supplying specialty lampshades. This business grew and I thought uh, I need investors I actually have to take this to another level and I looked into schooling because I, fi I figured it's one thing to risk your own money and your own time but it's another when you need investors. So I decided to take an MBA. I qualified for an EMBA, did that. And um, I think realized at that point in time that I had really um, had an amazing window of opportunity with my lamps. Uh, they, I was supplying Neiman Marcus and Hartford catalogs. I was starting to export to the US and always made to order. I really kept that niche uh, to really, yeah, not, not really incur a lot of risk, but it was at the threshold where I was encouraged to get them made, get them manufactured, get a warehouse, start, you know, distribution. And that just wasn't for me. It really wasn't, it, it didn't sit right. So after the MBA, I really kind of stood there with no business and no job. So, but I did get a job and it was good. And I was a national account manager actually for an art uh, distributor. So these were unlimited editions and we supplied, um, you know, framing companies and um, 
hotel contracts, et cetera. So I looked after those accounts in, uh, in the US and in Canada. And after nine months, that position was eliminated. Huge change in the organization. And I was left unemployed again or underemployed. And um, back in the job search, got another position as director of sales and marketing for a bedding company. So the commodity of commodities, the white polyester pillow. And I was leading a team and I was rebranding the company and that went really, really well. But again, after nine months, that position was eliminated. So I thought, now what do I do? Um, and I started consulting and um, that went really well. I thought I'm just going to kind of present an idea to companies that are high growth. And actually it was through the recruiting company that I was working with. And I said, why don't you open an office in Western Canada? I'll run it for you and I'll open it up. I'll do it from scratch. And so we did that. And within three months, I brought in one of their biggest gigs. And um, after nine months, that gig was done. And I found myself back at the drawing board thinking, now what do I do? Because all these profits went to another company and other owners. And I thought, what do I do? I, I actually have a vision to work for myself again. Maybe that's just the right solution. And I kind of sat with the idea and incidentally, one of the former colleagues that I worked with remembered me. And she said, uh, and it was Frida Chang actually, uh, who was then at that time in 2011, she was CEO of the Aldiaza Group here at YBR. And she said, Heidi, we're looking for somebody to do a staffing contract. And um, I don't know what you're up to, but if you're interested, I can get you a meeting. And, um, you know, found out um, in November 2011 that ours was a successful bid or that mine was a successful bid. So with that started my introduction to travel retail. And honestly, I found my tribe. It is this buzzing community of expats and this experience from my background of being bilingual, bicultural, really played big into the opportunity to recruit for airport environments and to understand uh, the value of you know, paradigms that, that are easily transferable and, and allows our staff to connect well with our customers. So this really, you know, fed into and, and supported this whole idea of staffing and recruiting for travel retail. And um, it, it really was one step at a time. And, and the HR department was very gracious. Uh, they helped me and with that, um, you know, we just grow, we, it was really all about service and building a good culture. And that, of course, led to then brand ambassador positions and working, you know, in other categories um, across in different departments, such as liquor and um, luxury and uh, also confectionery. And through that, we have built an amazing network of connections who then asked me, can you provide services at LAX? Can you provide services at SFO? We need recruitment in Newark, in Toronto, in Montreal. And my disposition is just to say yes we'll we'll take a run at it hopefully we can find the right people and when you do it's 
they get placed and they stay and it turns out well, um, it starts to build this story that, you know, was, was just really a good fit for me. I felt that I was doing something with a people focus. I could take kind of all my, my values uh, for supporting good employment and supporting staff and for creating good interviews and really valuing our candidates in the interview process. Um, really kind of helped shape kind of the business model that we have today. So Heidi, when did you form the Spark Group of Companies? Well, I incorporated the Canadian entity in 2011 uh, under Spark Business Services Group, and I incorporated the US entity in 2018 under Spark Promotions Inc. And collectively, I call them the Spark Group of Companies. Yeah, I think, Heidi, I think when I knew you were coming on, I was really excited to talk to you about this, actually, not only on the podcast, just for my own, uh, you know, my own general views. When I look back to when COVID hit, but, you know, let's say last March, April, when it really started impacting travel retail, look, we got loads of data points. And I remember a specific one, I won't quote the company, but they came out and said, I think the stat was 91% of all travellers post-COVID won't go into duty-free, 80% don't want to interact with anyone, and basically it's going to be doomsday. We now roll forward, and albeit, yes, travel retail is nowhere near back to 2019 levels. However, both of those two things are completely not true. You know, I speak to most retailers and we get the data. Average transaction spend is up. Uh, dwell time is up. Um, and actually, you know, in most airports, a decent level of brand ambassadors are back. You know, if you get away from sort of social distancing impact. I guess my question with all of that lead up is what do you think the future of brand ambassadors are uh, in a post-COVID world uh, and, and persuasion, I guess, in, in totality? Well, it's that really is, I think, the crux of the question for travel retail. What is our USP? What, what is the beauty of the channel? And if you ask me, and I, I think customers would attest to it, it is the difference that people make. It is, it's that greeting. It is that, you know, that eye connection, that smile. That says, where are you going today? And how can I make your trip better? And it is, it is that in-person connection. It is the human touch. It is the conversation, the gesture, the um, smile, the, uh, that bespoke brand moment. We have to remember that most of travel retail or a big chunk of or the area where we're involved is luxury, beauty, liquor, confectionery. And these are not travel essentials. These are not things that are self-serve. These are all products and categories that are where that brand uh, experience is enhanced by having somebody there that explains the product that connects the customer to that, um, uh, to the quality, to the story, to the brand experience. And that really results in that satisfied purchase. So that is where we are today. I probably wouldn't be using the term persuasion so much as, 
you know, building trust, building connection, building um, an honest story, authenticity. All these words have actually become much more important now that we're in a COVID and post-COVID era. I think there's a much higher demand on our staff to be sincere and to be genuine because we have really all gone through and are going through this very traumatic event. And what are you seeing, you know, obviously you must be working with retailers day in, day out. Um, and what are you seeing, and brand owners, what are you seeing their response at the moment? Is it, look, let's get our people back as quickly as we can? You know, are you seeing any resistance? How are you finding that sort of the dialogue that you're having with those stakeholders? What I'm seeing, or the theme, is that definitely travel retail will come back. We will be getting back to our 2019 levels. Nobody knows the time frame, but that is definitely the view. And the big question is, how will we, how will we get there? And how do we deal with all the uncertainties right now? Because we have to remember the entire value chain is disrupted whether it's product development, R&D, uh, logistics, uh, the, the contract relationships with retailers, retailers have with airports. This is all disruptive. Um, the labor pool or our, our, our labor supply is completely disrupted. Our staff, you know, have new vendors or no vendors and, uh, you know, new store support or no store, store support. It, it really, every area of the value chain is affected. And so our message is very much to focus on the last link in the value chain, which is where the brand meets the customer in a one-on-one -on -one conversation. And, and, and all the values are there. Retailers and brands continually, um, I think really agree on that focus. But the I, how to get there and how to make that happen and what the timeline is, is still very uncertain. It's very uncertain. I, uh, changing gears slightly, you, um, I think your magic number must be nine months because every role you mentioned <laughs> disappeared after nine months. So uh, I, if I ever work with you, Heidi, I'm going to be worried when we get to the nine, month, nine months point. Um, but I had a good look at your CV ahead of this, just so I could understand a bit more about you. I'd heard of Spark and I'd obviously heard of yourself. You've got to tell me what's going on with the Romanian top 10 uh, <laughs> mu music producer. I've, uh, I, I've, I, I've got it written down here. And I think Hungarian, you were in the charts in, Hung in Hungary for three weeks or something. You're going to have to tell me what's going on there. Well... I just like getting into business opportunities when they're in front of me. And I've had a couple of businesses, you know, not all of them make money. Some of them are just a really good idea and they're just a great partnership. And you kind of just get into it because it's just a fun thing to do. Uh, so with what happened with uh, this Blitzenblum is actually a record label. And uh, what we wanted to do is I wanted to support this Romanian uh, producer and songwriter because he was in my network and I really saw just uh, his skill and um, he was immigrating to Canada and 
uh, arriving here and, and I just thought, how do I, how do I support this? Because he really had a great sense for ethnic tunes and music and rhythms and, and, um, and of course, Vancouver is incredibly multicultural. So we have great demographics here and lots of, it's a very creative city as well. It's not just multicultural. There's a lot of a strong, you know, creative uh, community here. So I thought, I'll, I'll support that. I'll invest in that. So it really, um, it worked out really well in the first couple of years. Uh, you know, we had radio play and we had Canada's pop single of the year, which was really wonderful. I think we yeah. can play. I think we can play an approximate ten-second clip without getting into too much trouble from "Burning" by Mia Martina. I rather like that name because Mia Martin. So Mia Martina, "Burning," I believe, Canadian single of the year. Let's hear it. What do you make of that, Roger? I've got to say, this is the strangest podcast I've ever been on. Um, we've gone from an upside down guest to um, brand ambassadors in uh, North America, and now we're on the Canadian Romanian techno. But you know, look, it's, it's all good. <laughs> Well, fantastic. Look, just with an eye on the clock, we're going to take you now, Heidi, away from Vancouver and British Columbia, and we're going to take you to our resident tripod desert island, as we've been talking music. Okay. Roger, I think there's an obvious segue in here, so I'm going to pass over to you. Yeah, I'm a bit frightened to ask you this question now, actually. Uh, so you're on your island, uh, Heidi, and you can have any piece of music, um, but it can't have been in the Romanian top 10. Um, <laughs> what, what music would you have on the island? I like music with attitude. So, uh, for example, actually, Aretha Franklin, or Respect, that is a great one. Yep. Uh, I like uh, Queen Latifah on uh, Chicago with you take care of mama, mama takes care of you. <laughs> I think that's a, that's one of, uh, that's a good tune. Um, there's another one. My husband is really good at uh, just playing all kinds of music. He's the music lover and puts the playlist together. And there is a band called Las Ketchup and it's called the Ketchup Song. It's Latin, and I do not actually understand the lyrics, but the tune is so sassy that when that's playing, I start dancing. It just really is a fun song uh, that gets, you know, the juices flowing. So that would be the music. Last Ketchup and song. <laughs> so, so we got Last Ketchup. What book would you have whilst you're listening to the music? But the reading side is the, you know, the deep thinking side. So one of my go-to books actually is The Lexus and the Olive Tree by Thomas Friedman, authored back in 1999 or, or published. And uh, it, I really enjoy it because it really addresses that tension between grabbing what is traditional and the values that ground us and, and that hold us in place but also, you know, progress and how do we move forward? So that book to me has actually been uh, 
it's one of those that I kind of pick up once a year and just go back to and go, there's still some truth in here that I need to, you know, grab and hang on to because it's both, you know, business is doing what's traditional and what is good and, and what is right. But it also has to be forward looking. You have to look at the future and where are you heading and how do you improve things? So that would be the book. Great. Well, we've got the music. We've got the book now. Now you get a chance to have a, a dinner, a dinner party. So you can pick three, uh, three guests for the dinner party. They can be dead or alive, and they can be anyone you want from the past or the, the present. So um, we'll, we'll you, bring you them back it. to life, Roger. Of course, right? when, when you say dead or alive, they we will revive them, won't we? Yeah, you're not going to be sat there with corpses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so um, who would you have at that table, um, Heidi? Who would I have? I think uh, definitely somebody that inspires me, somebody that um, makes me laugh, and um, probably somebody that I, you know, definitely, yeah, want to learn from. So it would be uh, Michelle Obama. Love her. Uh, tell it like it is. Have a good time doing it and, you know, move forward and make a difference. So I like that. James Corden. <laughs> you have to love James Corden. Just, I think he's probably one of those hosts that makes me laugh the most. So uh, I'd definitely be inviting him. I think that would be a really good laugh and some good songs. We could probably do a carpool karaoke or something. <laughs> and um, somebody that I have uh, just heard so much about and that I just really admire in the industry would be Colin McLaughlin. I think um, he's just, you know, what I know of him just is so, uh, it's, it's just so impressive. It just really, I think um, he just has this piece about him where he, he changes the atmosphere. Uh, and I think from what I've learned is he's really influenced the industry much more than, um, you know, uh, is visible. So I would, I would, want to have him at the table simply because I think I want to grab onto that legacy. Let's move on now. You're, you're flying out to the desert island um, through uh, Vancouver Airport, YBR. Very nice duty-free shop there run by Dufree. Uh, we'll allow you to have a wonderful duty-free item to take to the island and spoil yourself with. What will it be? It would be a gin. And uh, more specifically, the Empress 1908. A uh, lovely gin that is distilled here in BC, uh, Victoria, BC. And uh, what's fun about it is it's purple. So it makes these wonderful cocktails and uh, also has a great flavor. So yes, it would be the Empress 1905 gin and uh, would be a gin and tonic on the beach for sure. Wonderful, sounds good. So a real sense yeah. of provenance there, sense of place, that's good to hear. Um, and after the island, Heidi, you better go off and have a, a holiday somewhere where there's a lot more people. If you could go one place in the world, where would it be? Especially after all this lockdown that's happened over the oh, last can't wait to travel. Can't wait to travel. I'm a girl that loves the beach and the sun. So it would definitely be, I think it would be Greece and uh, either Santorini or Crete. One of those two. Heidi, it's been fantastic to have you with us. Um, I know you're really 
down there on the front line of our industry, working with your great team, uh, teams around North America, but also working with great airport companies and retailers who have all been through a heck of a tough time in recent months. And we hope things bounce back for the channel, uh, for, for your Thank business, you. and I'm sure it will with all your energy. Um, I think uh, Spark is gonna continue to spark lots of lots of vibrancy in this industry and lots of good things. So thanks for being with us today. So Roger, what an interesting guest, a few surprises in there. Uh, yeah, I think it's the most I've laughed on a podcast yet. So like I said, not that everyone will see, but she was upside down for the first 15 minutes. Then we um, find out that um, essentially she lost her job until she founded Sparks every nine months. So yeah, no, more guests like that, please, Martin. What a great story. Well, we look forward to seeing who's on next week and to seeing you back next week, Roger. Uh, but for now, it's Martin Moody saying, see you soon. See you next week.